your source for stateside views on Everton Football Club. Hosted by Alex Johnson, James Boyman, and Ryan Williams. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the American Toffee Podcast. James here, joined by Alex. Unfortunately, no Ryan today, but you get a classic ATP for all the OG fans out there as Everton drew 2-2 away at Nottingham Forest. Everton now winless in our last nine away games and one away victory this season being the lowest tally in the Premier League. Uh, Took the lead twice, conceded the lead twice. Of course, that will be very disappointing for most fans out there. And make no mistake about it, this was an incredibly, incredibly sloppy game. We will get into all of the stats, the timeline, and points to go forward for Everton after a quick shout out. Just a reminder, if you enjoy the show, help us out a ton if you'd leave us a rating and review on your podcast platform of choice. Follow us on social media at USA Toffee Pod, Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, and join our great community of Discord members, invite.gg slash ATP. Without further ado, Alex, get into it. Instant reactions from Twitter. I went with who's become a pretty regular contributor, Mike at Wombat underscore Combat who said, no single game is relegating us until math makes it so, but hard to argue these two points, these those two points dropped, weren't the crucial buffer that this group of players that crumbles under pressure desperately needed. Now, immense pressure for every game going forward. If there wasn't already pressure, this was a big one. This was one of our most winnable games remaining on the fixture list, despite them having not lost at home since September. So yeah, it feels really bad to concede twice and concede the lead twice and escape with just one point when it felt like we were close to getting all three. Yeah, it was it was a real gut punch. And there was definitely pressure for every match going forward prior to this. But, um, you know, it makes it feel a little more intense, I think, for everyone. I uh, I took James Gardner at JR Gardner 91, another regular contributor to the show. Um, and he said, interesting, what was a foul and what was left to play on? What was a card and what wasn't? We at least have shown we can score more than one in the game. We just make so many stupid individual errors and are lacking a final ball slash finish. And I couldn't say it better myself. Um, The refereeing again, and don't get me wrong, like the result doesn't come down to the referee at all. So this is not an episode, I think, in which we're going to complain too much about it. But it was definitely a very, very inconsistent performance from him. Um, Some questionable uh, decisions that we'll definitely get into in detail um, so moving into the, into the match itself, you know, we actually, James had no correct score predictions. So why don't you, uh, jump right into the forest lineup for us? Yeah, no correct score predictions. A lot of people predicting a loss. So maybe this is a, a positive that we escaped with a point, but, um, yeah, as far as the forest lineup goes, I mean, nothing radical. Interesting that they were also, of course, beat four nil, like we were against Arsenal, although they lost to West Ham. Um, read into that what you will. Only one change by Steve Cooper. He brings in Serge Aurier, who did not endear himself in any way, shape, or form to the Everton faithful with his just crap spewing nonsense today, altercation with Seamus Coleman and whatnot. Um, that was really their only change. You know, Brennan Johnson, Morgan Gibbs White, guys that Everton missed out on. And even we were linked with Aurier at one point. And then we, of course, saw Andre Ayew off the bench. So Forrest just kind of scooping up players that we maybe could have had in a different world and an alternate reality. But Forrest are basically where they deserve to be as far as performances go. You know, we talked about, or I mentioned their really good home form since September, but they are still 16th in the league in XG and XGA. So they find themselves, you know, 
not quite out of the relegation scrap after today and uh, deservedly so. And I think most would agree that Everton also deserve to be where they are as well. Yeah, there were a couple interesting notes about the Everton lineup today. Um, Godfrey came in at left back, which we've seen um, in the somewhat distant past uh, before, but that ended up being because Mikalinko is out ill. Uh, read into that what you will. I doubt it's anything serious. Um, but the other one was Gray comes in and gets the star at striker ahead of Neil Mopay. That was an interesting call for sure. We've all been wondering, you know, where is Gray going to fit into the Sean Dyche side? Um, you know, it's clear that he hasn't come on and 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 preferred for him to play on, on the outside. So um, definitely wanted to see how that progressed throughout the match and, and how we ended up deciding to play with him up front as opposed to Mope. Um, a positive sign. A lot of fans were excited about this. James Garner is back on the bench after the back injury that he sustained in the wintertime. Um, of course, uh, Michael Keane ended up keeping his place at center back next to James, James Tarkovsky. So that left Yerry Mina on the bench again. I think everyone is still scratching their heads as to why Yerry Mina can't get a single minute of football under Sean Dyche, even though he's consistently making the bench. Um, somewhat frustrating, but I'm sure we'll get into uh, individual performances and how that played out uh, throughout the match. So, James, why don't you bring us through the tactical setup and kind of how it played out um, at a high level? Well, you know, it's not too far in the past where we ripped Frank Lampard for saying it's not a tactical game. And this this was a tactical game, but it was also one that was incredibly sloppy. And it was entertaining probably more so if you're a neutral fan tuning in because of all the scraps, the physicality, whatnot. But as far as Everton are concerned, and really both teams, it was not a game and I think either will be super proud of as far as their uh, tactical and technical capabilities. I mean, Everton ended with 74 long balls, which is our most under Sean Dyche so far. Uh, we did have 73 against Leeds, but we were averaging 62 um, across his other five games at the helm. Pickford had 11, uh, was 11 for 26 in long balls. Awubi McNeil combined for 7 for 10. So it's not always, you know, wasteful, but you think maybe with Gray coming into the lineup, we might see a change of tactics. We might not be able be looking to hoof it long to a guy who's really not that good in the air and likely isn't going to win very much against their center halves. But we didn't see that. We still saw the intent to, to push the ball long and try to win second balls and whatnot. Um, and, and other than that, I think the real big takeaway for me was obviously Godfrey coming in for Mikalenko made it very unlikely that we were going to attack down the left-hand side in any way, shape, or form. And that proved to be true. I mean, we 53% of our attack was down the right compared to just 26 on the left and 21% down the middle. Most stuff going forward came through Alex Iwobi and Seamus Coleman. And we did see at times players shift over to the opposite side. There was a nice spell, which we'll talk about, where McNeil moved over. Um, we kind of overloaded that side and created some decent matchups. Um, but Awobi and Coleman were one and two for touches for the Everton side today. So it just shows how dependent we were uh, looking to get the ball wide to them and just hope something materialized. Yeah, and I think I think equally in terms of why, you know, we weren't as active on the left hand side in an attack was, you know, Brennan Johnson for Forrest ended up being their star man of of the match, which you know, we'll talk about the details that the very painful details of that moving forward. But, um, you know, his average position, he was sitting up super, super high. The actually the highest um, for Forrest in the match. And I think that kind of kept uh, Ben Godfrey pinned back a bunch, um, which obviously saw McNeil stay back um, quite a bit and quite deep. So I think it made sense as to why we were going to the right. Um, you know, if anything, that's probably a good thing because I'd rather, you know, a Wobie see more of the ball than McNeil. Although, of course, you know, we've seen McNeil has been a focal point for us on the left hand side or, you know, Sean Dyche has tried to make him one. 
um, the last few matches too. So uh, either way, it was interesting to see how kind of like the flow for each each team uh, played out, especially on the wings. Yeah, and we, we you saw Damari Gray a lot of times kind of shifting wide to create overloads. And, you know, he's not a central guy. He's not a back-to-goal guy. Comes no surprise to anybody. And we saw the midfield also getting kind of aggressive and sort of a rotating cast of characters, predominantly DeQuarrie and Onana pushing forward to try to kind of fill those gaps centrally. But even at times off the ball, you saw Adrissa Gay push as high as their center halves or even pressuring Keylor Navas in goal. So um, I don't know about the midfield organization today. It felt a little all over the place, but... Even though we put the ball wide so much, we actually finished with only 14 crosses, which is uh, the second fewest we've had under Sean Daesh behind the Arsenal match where we only had seven. But, you know, the less said about that match, the better. You can go back and listen to that episode if you really want to. Wouldn't blame me if you skipped that one, though. And yeah, Alex, you're right. I mean, the the position of Damari Gray, you saw Ben Godfrey looked very isolated, really kind of just had to focus on defensive duties. And even when he was tasked with just doing that, there were a couple plays where We'll talk about it, but he kind of left a lot to be desired, um, and, and it was difficult for us to create. So before we get into the timeline, we're just going to take a quick break for a word from our sponsors, and we'll be right back. And we are back. The match started pretty quickly, uh, kind of sloppy and a lot of just you know battling for the ball and interesting start. Honestly, very quick for Everton. I was pretty caught off guard for it, still waking up, to be quite honest. In the eighth minute, Everton, for once it feels like, get a call for a penalty. It's a bit of a scramble in the box after Wobie's cross. Dwight McNeil ends up, you know, he puts on the afterburners, beats John Joe Selvi to the ball. Um, John Joe Selvi essentially like steps on his foot and trips him. He goes down. Uh, John Brooks points straight to the spot. You know, some people think it was soft. I think the commentators agreed with the call, but Damari Gray steps up again. He got the start over Neil Mope. He hasn't gotten the start um, under Sean Dyche before, I don't believe. Steps up, buries it very calmly, a very good take, early lead for Everton. I think the question really, James, is, you know, what did you think about the contact and the call for Everton? You know, do you think there are any legitimate claims for flop or maybe a soft a soft shout for us? I mean, I think McNeil goes down pretty easily, but it's also a clear, like, he gets the ball, Shelby's late, talk, makes the contact, McNeil goes down. I just never expect us to get those kinds of calls because it feels like, you know, our penalties have been so few and far between over the last few years. But it's a penalty for me. And I just am always like, really, we got that? I can't believe it because I'm so used to refs just looking the other direction. Um, But yeah, I mean, Gray is just so clinical from the spot. He really is. uh, He's a good finisher. And he puts it away confidently. The only downside to this is like, it's way too early for us to be scoring these goals and taking this lead because our defense they're just i never feel confident when we're one goal ahead when we're one goal down i'm in complete despair so it was only felt like only a matter of time before things got really interesting and that was certainly not going to be it's not going to be likely that we're going to coast the other 82 minutes to the victory on a one nil um and that's the scary thing because obviously we really have not shown the ability to score more than one in a game in quite some time and so to go up one nil, it's like, okay, well, we're probably going to need another one at some point if we want all three points. And of course, that situation became pretty much almost immediately. It felt like the reality as just 10 minutes later forced equalize. And I don't know what you thought about this goal, Alex, but it did feel like a little bit of sloppy defending. Uh, it starts with Morgan Gibbs White kind of receiving it about 35 yards out. He's in a ton of space. There's like six of our guys around him. Um, and it's a really simple kind of build-up play. It's a one-two with Chris Wood, who's kind of standing on the edge of the 18. And a good shot from Gibbs White. He's a really good player. There's there's no question about that. But Pickford, he makes a good save and he parries it kind of wide of goal. But 
The key man here is Brennan Johnson, who is kind of ready and right there to poach the deflected save, puts it in the back of the net. And I think the man at fault here is pretty clearly Ben Godfrey, because you look at the buildup. Godfrey gets pulled in centrally to kind of mark Chris Wood, but James Tarkowski's already there. And so it leaves Johnson basically unmarked on the far post. And there's no one around him. McNeil's kind of tracking back, but that's really not his man. That's got to be Godfrey. And it's early. He's playing out of position. He's not accustomed to that, but you still have to do better there, don't you? Yeah, I mean, I think that's the same defensive principles as, you know, any 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 position in that back line, right? Whether you're left, right, center, it doesn't matter. You have to know who's behind you and who's in front of you. Um, you know, I, I think it was very clear that he should have stayed wide on Johnson. But again, you know, that that's the risk you take. And, and it'll be interesting because I think later on, you know, we see Damari get a get a chance from a similar angle as Johnson in this one. And, and he doesn't quite finish as emphatically. But nonetheless, um, we see it equalized uh, at 1-1 in the 18th minute. And it was definitely a deflating feeling um, for me personally. And I'm, I'm sure a lot of Everton fans were sitting there thinking, you know, feeling very insecure about whether or not we could even come back and make it a match. Well, they really like, especially after after they scored the first, they kind of just took all the momentum. They almost had a second one, just to, like literally their next possession once we turned it over off the ensuing kickoff. So, yeah, it was very nervy. They had the home atmosphere behind them. Um, I don't remember exactly when this was, but the Coleman penalty shout when he breaks into the box with a really nice run, he basically gets hacked on his heel as he's going to play the ball. And for me, this was way clearer of a penalty then the one on Dwight McNeil, um, I think obviously he's less likely to score from kind of right on the end line, but the contact in the way that he disrupts the play there, uh, for me, I, I was shocked that, that wasn't given, but I don't know, two penalties inside the first half for one team never feels like that's going to happen in the Premier League. Yeah, I mean, no, I agree, though. It was absolutely a penalty. There's no doubt about it. And there's no reason why it doesn't matter, you know, whether you're facing the keeper or whether you're, you know, point blank range. If you're in the box, I mean, he goes because he winds up to pass the ball, you know, to cut it back. Clearly, I mean, it doesn't matter what Coleman's movement is. The point is uh, the, the, the defender takes him out, doesn't touch the ball. Um, it's a foul in the box. And it should be, <clears throat> no matter what, whether, you know, Forrest or the ref likes it or not, it should be, you know, another penalty to Everton. But nonetheless, um, fortunes changed uh, pretty quickly thereafter. In the 28th minute, when Everton get back in the league, we had a set piece go long to Tarkovsky, who pops it up. Uh, Michael Keane wins the second ball and assists, assists it to loop it over the defense to Ducore, who makes a nice run to the backside of Froiler and finishes with a header in the ground. And right past Keeler Navas, um, it felt absolutely euphoric to go up 2-1 in the 28th minute. Who would have thought at that point we'd see three goals, um, Everton versus Nottingham Forest in the first slot on Sunday morning? Yeah, I mean, the penalty and then the set-piece goal. It is the recipe that we're going to need a little bit of luck, and we're going to need to be really good on set-pieces. And we got both of those things falling our way in the first half. And I think I really don't think the Decore finish is... Uh, talked about enough because he does a really good job of putting it low and bouncing it on the ground past Navas. So often you might see a guy just try to go dead on. He smartly puts it basically straight down. Navas has no chance to stop it. And yeah, we're in the lead again. I can't believe it. How much stress that this, and it, the thing for me is like, even when we're in the lead with one goal, I just am so, so nervous because I know the importance of the three points. Um, and we all know how it panned out, but we had 
a couple other really good chances to score before the half. Dwight McNeil at one point, I mentioned this earlier, it kind of shifted over onto the right and was working with a Wobi, and he basically cuts in by himself and rips such a good left-footed shot uh, that Navas saves over nicely. Um, and then there was the other one. I don't remember exactly when this was, if it was before or after the McNeil chance, but that cross to Damari Gray, and he just hits it into the first available defender. I mean, that it's... There's guys there that he has to avoid, but it felt like that's probably our best chance created from open play in the game by far. Yeah, and that and that was my point about the Brennan Johnson finish, you know, for their uh for their goal in the 18th minute was, you know, it's a similar position as this great chance. Um, you know, obviously there are there are slightly slightly different uh, positions of the defenders and the keeper, but at the end of the day, there's there's a very stark difference in how the two of them hit it, the confidence and the finish. Um, you know, as the game wear on, you kind of continue to ask yourself, why, oh, why Everton didn't we, you know, go all in to get Brendan Johnson? Because, you know, even his ability to finish is is something that um, we uh, we are missing, you know, when you compare the club's two top scorers, because those are the two um, for Everton and for Nottingham Forest. Um, but nonetheless, you know, we, we go through to halftime. Godfrey gets a yellow for a late tackle out of play, um, which was somewhat lame, but Otherwise, uh, there were there were an interesting spread of stats um, at halftime between the two teams. Yeah, nine to five in shots in favor of Everton, basically even possession, 48 to 52, seven key passes for the Toffees to Forest three, 10, seven in tackles, seven, four in interceptions, 18. I repeat, 18, one aerials to their eight, I think. We had like 17 offensive aerials like contested, whether we won them or not. So kind of just a testament to the long balls, but dominant in the air, as you might expect with, you know, Ben Godfrey, James Sarkowski and Michael Keane all getting forward quite a bit. Um, But all in all, it was sloppy. It wasn't pretty to watch, but it felt like we were probably the better team and deserved to be ahead at the break. Yeah. And, you know, we, we come out, we come out at halftime and that's, that's been, you know, a really, a really touchy uh, time of the match for us, uh, especially this season. Um, how are we going to perform coming out, out after the break? Are we going to have, you know, the burners on, are we going to be slow, um, lethargic, uh, you know, we've conceded some goals like right after the half immediately, but it wasn't that it wasn't the case. I mean, it was definitely scrappy and, and Everton were, were less effective moving through the second half than we were in the first half. I think most people would agree, but in the 50th minute, that was the first time uh, we had something notable happen. And that was the double yellow with McNeil and, and Morgan Gibbs white. It was just you know, again, um, the, the the match getting chippy with both sides and and I think players winding each other up. I mean, for us, I mean, you know, the best thing that you can do is wind up the home side and, and, and they feel the pressure, I think, just as we do. Maybe not quite as much, but they should because the table is, is very tight that way. Um, so nothing crazy, you know, again, 54th minute, there was another dust up and, and this time running Lodi uh, gets carded, which is a positive for us at, at, at left back for them. Yeah, the physicality seems like both teams wanted to kind of get in the trenches, get dirty, just rile up the opposition and get, and unfortunately, you know, it is good to rile up the home team, but at the expense of also riling up the home fans and creates that raucous atmosphere that makes it so difficult. And is part of the reason why we've struggled so much to win away because of the, the away atmospheres. Um, what was weird was the McNeil yellow is that he wasn't even involved in the play that kicked the whole thing off. He kind of arrives late and gets in Morgan Gibbs White's face. Um, and really, that whole thing could have been avoided if Brooks had just blown his whistle earlier. He lets kind of two big moments of contact go. Uh, and then the Lodi one is is just 
a deserved yellow without question. But um, yeah, not much to write home about up until the 70th minute when I think, you know, Forrest still chasing the game. Cooper elects to make a triple substitution. And I think this is where the paths diverge for both clubs. He brings on Yates, who's been struggling with an illness for a number of weeks now. Um, he's a key guy for Forrest. Uh, Dennis and another Everton miss, Andre Ayu, on for Colback, Froiler, and Wood. Um, and from the second half up into that, that triple substitution, Forrest were definitely the better team. 70% possession, 10 to 3 in tackles, at least you know in possession and kind of off the ball winning it back, but really struggled to create. It was one-to-one in shots for both sides. And it felt like, okay, both managers, at least from my standpoint where I was watching, was like, okay, both these guys should be looking to make changes fairly soon. Steve Cooper becomes the first to react. Yeah, I mean, it was it was clear, you know, just just as as the uh, the stats pointed out, it was clear a good amount of time before Forrest made their triple stub in the 70th that Everton needed some fresh legs. And and I know that we haven't had, you know, too many perceived options on the bench. Um, but at the end of the day, we were gassed. It was clear that the game plan, while it did work in the first half and we did look solid, I mean, it's only worth it so much, uh, you know, unless you can actually execute it with the energy levels required. And and these guys have been running like nonstop constantly. I mean, the work ethic and and um, the amount that they uh, the amount of ground that they covered was unreal. Um, and it showed because in the 77th minute, unfortunately, um, as they say, Ducore giveth and Ducore taketh away. Um, <laughs> Ducore, <laughs> I saw it on Twitter. <laughs> It's so true. Uh, maybe it was on Reddit, actually. Uh, Ducore gives it away very poorly. Um, he was trying to pass it to Gon on the left, and you know it was just it was just like a tired, like lazy sort of pass. Um, Johnson recovers the ball, drives it goal. You know, takes an, a nice one-two with Yates, the substitute from only seven minutes prior. Uh, Johnson takes a tidy touch and buries that ball into the top corner. And again, you're sitting there thinking, you know, how many players are at Everton that can, you know take that chance and finish it that way. Um, so that's two goals for Johnson on the day to tie it 2-2 in the 77th minute. As we said, you know, up to that point, it was clear that Forrest had the upper hand in the second half. Um, we still hadn't even made any subs. And I think you probably, um, well, hopefully, well, not hopefully, but you probably agree that at that point in time, you weren't feeling like there was a way to come back from that. No, it felt like that was the inevitable moment we were all waiting for and almost like a question of when would they get their third and really just stick the nail in the hearts and the eyeballs and everywhere that causes immense pain of Everton fans. Um, and Dyche seems to be want seems to want that group of players to react and go on to get the winner or at least hold on for the point. It isn't until the 89th minute when he finally brings on a double sub and he brings on Neil Mopai, who probably should have come on much earlier. Gray looked absolutely gassed from probably like mid 60s, early 70s at the latest. Um, and he brings on Neil Mopai and Davies for Damari Gray and Awobi. Awobi, again, thought he had a decent game, some sloppy moments, but he was also clearly just exhausted. He he made some very, very impressive recovery runs when they started to, when we turned the ball over and they would break, you know, he just runs his tail off. There's no, no surprises there, but too little, too late, 89th minute. And we had five minutes of stoppage. Nothing comes from it. The match ends in a draw from the time that Forrest make their triple sub in the 70th minute to full time. It's four nil in shots to Forrest three, nothing in key passes. They have 55% to 44% possession for us, seven to seven in tackles. So, you know, in terms of like 
ball possession, all those sorts of things, relatively even, but we couldn't get a shot. We needed a goal to win. We didn't get a single shot. That is a big problem. Um, and we talked about the subs. I think in our instant match reactions on Twitter, we had a number of people critique this decision as well. Nora Cal Toffee uh, said, usually I'd be happy about a point away, but this game was there for the taking. No subs from Dyche is inexcusable, IMO. DCL getting healthy will make or break survival for us without question. Yeah, I mean, it's hard to argue it. And and we also had Sludvig's, and uh, he said, we make mistakes leading to goals every game. Dice should have made changes 20 minutes earlier. And that's true. I mean, it was the proof was in the pudding. It happens. I mean, that's when you make mistakes is when you get tired and and you, and you get, you know, lazy and, and reckless in, in the decision making and, and how you proceed. But, uh, you know, from you had a good note about our our January episode when Dice was appointed and and how we emphasized fitness um, and how we only had, you know, he only usually used a, a few substitutes in the past. Yeah, I think this is kind of just a case of. Daish is proving to be who we thought he was. When he was appointed, we thought, okay, you know, how much of the decisions at Burnley, the thought process at Burnley, the recruitment at Burnley, so on and so forth, was down to him being at Burnley versus how much of it is just him as a manager. Uh, One of the things we highlighted was that in his last three years at Burnley, they were 18th, 19th, and 20th in number of subs used. So the emphasis is on fitness for him. He doesn't make a lot of changes. We talked about, okay... And I guess now that I'm thinking it through, okay, well, part of that is he probably didn't have, he didn't have very much depth at Burnley. He doesn't have very much depth here. So he wants to try to get his first 11 through games. But at some point, Alex, you just have to get some fresh legs on there. Even if there is a slight drop in quality, someone with 40%, 20%, 30% in the tank, maybe can't offer someone, just someone who can run around. Uh, Even though, look, Tom Davies came on and was Tom Davies. uh, But in five minutes, what can you really expect? Yeah, I mean, and that's why I think it bothers me the most about the argument regarding Yerry Mina and fitness levels at center back. I mean, do you see do you see our center backs sprinting up and down the pitch trying to like hold a high line and, and and just making like 20 recoveries a match? Because I don't. I mean, don't get me wrong, like they're more compact and stuff, but you know, you're you're not you're not getting James Tarkovsky constantly, you know, isolated one v one running backwards towards goal and and I I just don't see why that that argument is used in regards to why Yerimina shouldn't get a start. Um, I may be digressing a bit, but why don't we move into the summary piece um, of of the match? I've got a good summary tweet from Mitch at Up the Toffees Eleven. They said a winnable match just couldn't sustain a decent first half performance. Not unexpected for a team struggling for confidence and always lacking mental toughness. Needed some help from Dice to turn the tide later on. The team left stranded, but one more point than if Cody started. Yeah, inclined to agree there. I mean, it, we'll we'll talk about Michael Keane in just a minute, but uh, we also had BG, BG at BC Gross who said Decore was fantastic in the first half. It was encouraging to see chances created throughout the match. It is disappointing not to secure all three points, but an away point is helpful. Bottom of the table still tight, so maybe this can be the platform to push up. Uh, well, that remains to be seen, but. Yeah, this one, just to concede the lead twice, when we've had the lead so few times this season, you really feel like you need to take advantage of it, and it just feels like we didn't do that. So the big question is, did you have anyone in particular you thought that had a uh, positive performance? It's tough. One, because you took you went with the Ryan approach and picked a whole section <laughs> of the field for your choice. You can't like, call me out. <laughs> which gobbled up half the people I was going to pick, but... 
in lieu of your selections, if I can't pick them, I'm going to have to go with, and I put, you know, kind of a question mark, I guess a Wobi for me, um, just because of how progressive he was. If you look at uh, Mark, our stats bot had a really good, does a really good post-match kind of summary graph. And in terms of progressing the ball forward, it was all a Wobi. Um, in because we talked about it at the top because of so much of the play went through him, led the team in touches, but he only ended up with two dribbles, a tackle, and I think one key pass. So really not his best performance. I was kind of reaching here. Um, what about you, Alex? Yeah. Yeah. I went, I went with the, uh, the midfield trio here. And I think, I think the reason why was because I liked the fact that, uh, I, you know, they, they were spaced out more. And I think that was more of a factor of like Forrest wasn't really trying to play through the middle um, per se. And, and, and because we had Damari Gray starting up top, we had, uh, you know, a, a huge emphasis on Ducore Nonana being high up as early as possible to support. But, um, you know, they combined on the defensive side for 11 tackles, six interceptions, a clearance and a block. Um, Ducore, I thought had a special performance, especially in the first half, as others have mentioned in their, in their tweets um, uh, performance, but it was tarnished by, you know, a single lazy slash tired mistake, as we had mentioned. Onana, you know, generally speaking, I thought was somewhat ineffective, but a young guy. And, you know, sometimes, sometimes it happens. He, he's been a good performer um, in other matches, which, which I thought really, uh, you know, kind of outweighs uh, one that isn't as great. So, um, you know, to move on to the, the newer segment that we've been doing in regards to what questions remain or, or other things we want to discuss. Um, I think the big one was, you know, we've seen Michael Keane start for the last two matches over Connor Cody, which I, is so surprising that, you know, you, it, 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 I think we were all happy to see Connor Cody drop from the lineup, but then like to see Michael Keane come in over Yeri Mina is just still blowing my mind. I want to know what your thought is, James, on how has Michael Keane done compared to Cody in the last in the last two matches? What you what we know about Michael Keane is that he's been up and down, kind of inconsistent in his Everton career. I think he's come in and he's been better than Cody. I don't know if others agree. I saw some, you know, we put a tweet out and people were kind of mixed on it. I still don't understand in what world Sean Dyche views Michael Keane ahead of Yari Mina, unless there's something going on behind the scenes with Yari Mina. It feels like the only explanation for why he's not included. It's crazy. And we had Cryptus kind of say the same thing at Cryptus, uh, who said, this one hurts since I saw it as a must win. He said, start Mina and Tarkowski and, or go down in my eyes. And I don't, uh, you know, I don't think it's as binary as that. Like there's pass in both scenarios, but I think it's clear that Mina and Tarkowski would be our best center half pairing and gives us the best chance of survival. And I don't really know how that's debatable at this point, to be honest. Yeah, it shouldn't be debatable. And, you know, I, I agree. I think I honestly think Michael Keane has been better than Cody has. And, you know, in the last two appearances, which, you know, again, um, there, there are different factors to say that now, Alex Washburn at wash underscore tub said, uh, well, (laughs) poop emoji is still poop emoji. The shape or amount is irrelevant in my opinion, when asked whether we thought Keane was better than Cody. And, and honestly, there seem to be a lot of people that agree with that take, um, but my question was, you know, does 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 Connor Cody make the assist to Ducore the same way Keen does? Like, does he win even that aerial duel? Um, and by the way, I think if I'm if I'm not mistaken, Michael Keen had eight aerial duels won this match, um, which was the highest at least for Everton, obviously, and and that's a ton. I mean, you know, he wasn't necessarily isolated one v one. We know his 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 constraints as a player in regards to um, you know his agility, his his pace 
um, his ability to shift over at speed, et cetera. But, um, I, you know, I, I don't see Cody making that. I don't think he can even get up high enough to knock that over to Ducore, in my opinion. No, I think Keen is clearly more air, better is clearly a better aerial presence. I, I have no doubts about that. Um, they're both limited in their own way. And it makes sense for Dice to go with a guy he has an extensive history with over someone like Gary Mina, if you think about it. But you just look at the talent disparity between the two. We talk so much about it. We're going to continue to harp on it, frankly, as long as Mina's not playing, because it's just crazy that he's not. But I agree. I mean, Michael Keane, not as good on the ball, maybe, as Connor Cody in terms of his passing range. But its I don't think it's that big of a drop-off. I think Keane's shown moments of being able to play a good long ball here and there. And, I heard he's a sniper in front of the goal. Yeah, well, we, ch- we saw a little bit of that. There was that one moment where he almost had that yeah. chance. He got the ball at his feet in the box. And uh, let's just say it didn't look super graceful. Uh, yeah, it just feels like we're going to be harping for... Yeri Mina and Dominic Calvert-Lewin until the end of the season, unless some fortunes dramatically change. Yeah, and Nathan Brackens, to wrap that up at N Brackens 10, said, technically, yes, Michael Keane's been better than Cody, but I struggle to say that improving from bad to below average is really worth anything. We just need Yeri Mina. And I think that wraps it up. I mean, there, as you said, James, a lot of people were torn about it, um, but <laughs> I think most people can agree that we need better than both of them in order to continue. So... Moving into final words, this one was a really funny one. It was actually a, a response to our friend Ryan, but Ryan wanted to make sure it was included, and I'll, I'll let you do the honors, James. Yeah, it was Chopper Blue 74 at Bedford Toffee 74 who said, uh, paraphrasing, removing the expletives, two crap teams trying to out-crap each other. And it did feel that way. Two teams, bottom of the table, <laughs> deservedly based on both their offensive and defensive outputs. Teams that have struggled. I mean, we know the number of new players Forrest have brought in. We just kind of stink and have not brought in any new players. So you got both ends of the spectrum in terms of transformations. But yeah, this was a very ugly game. I think the average passing sequence for Forrest was four and ours was three. So neither team really able to string much together at all. Disjointed, very physical, very tense. You could tell both teams were really feeling the pressure. Certainly Everton more so, I think, trying to defend multiple leads always makes us clench a little bit as fans. And I'm sure the players have, whether they like to or not, starting to feel the same way. Uh, I also wanted to give a shout out to Vic Lindsay at Victor Lindsay, who uh, said that he watched the match on his phone at church and it therefore didn't have his full attention splitting between Jesus or whatever denomination of church he goes to or believes in and <laughs> Everton. And uh, Vic, we really could have used some uh, power from on high or some support from on high today <laughs> to see all three points over the line. It was not to be. Really disappointing, but I did think that was funny, just the mental image of someone like listening to a sermon and then just peeking down and being like, oh, Decorah gave the ball away. What? The? <laughs> like trying not to swear to like be blasphemous. If church, church can't save us from relegation, nothing can. That's right. all I have to say about it. Yep. But uh, we also we also had Stephen Williams at Steve M. Williams. In any other season, it's a good point, especially with their home form. Unfortunately, we are left in a position where we had to win a game like this. Feel it's another nail in our relegation coffin. Um, you know, it was hard for us to find some positive uh, responses to how the match went. Um, we had a sum, but it seems like overall people are feeling somewhat negative about it, which is funny. I mean, you know, a lot of people would say one point away from home at, at, at Forest is probably pretty good. Um, but again, the circumstances as as we've we've been hitting on, you know, the circumstances in which we we find ourselves with one point coming away from uh, away from home is is somewhat disappointing and. 
and hopefully you know we can we can continue to put in um, performances much more like the first half but sustained um, you know again I think I, I heard Tim Howard say on the broadcast after the match it really comes down to we haven't seen a full 90 minutes of execution from Everton um, since Sean Dyche has come in um, you know we've definitely seen some positive mat you know some positive signs as Sean Dyche has you know said you know even last week against Arsenal we had a very positive 40 minutes and then of course we all know what happened from there so uh, you know hopefully we can continue to progress but it's clear that these guys can't keep running that long um, without any sort of substitutions coming in on the back end until the 89th minute. So hopefully we see some resolution to some of the questions we've been asking. Um, and I'll throw it over you to, over to you, James, in, in case you have any uh, final words before we wrap it up. Yeah, I mean, I think Stephen's comments really resonate with me because in most years and most normal Premier League seasons as an Everton fan, you'll take any results away. You'll take the point. You'll take three points, most definitely. Um, but now that we're kind of seeing our opportunities dwindle and the window creep slightly closer to closed as every match passes, it feels like the home and away thing kind of goes out the window because we're just running out of teams that are even remotely near us in terms of quality that we can actually feasibly beat. And yeah, we got, you know, the three points against Arsenal, which we've kind of been coasting off and lead. There's teams around us that look poor, leads look poor. Um, but it just comes down to like, whether we're at home or away, there's not that many games left that look on paper winnable for us. And we might squeak some out, but we've been talking about, you know, we need five wins to be safe. Well, we've got what, like 13, 12 games left now, and we've got five wins all season. So to think that we're miraculously going to get five in the last handful of matches feels uh, just optimistic to the point of like not being totally attached to reality. I don't know how you're feeling, Alex, but <laughs> I said it off yeah, the I top. I, I, I don't know. I, I guess my my last thought is it's closing. It feels like in recent seasons, like under Carlo and before that, where we were like three points off of the European places and we would just let results slip, let results slip and ultimately wind up in mid table or thereabouts. But this time the costs and the cost of not, Getting these points is our survival in the Premier League, which is starting to get more desperate. I still hold out hope in my naturally optimistic way of looking at the world that we can manage to get this over the line somehow. But I'm also just looking at like the rest of the fixtures and I'm like, I don't know where these points are going to come from, regardless of how the other teams around us perform, because I'm trying to like pay attention to that, too. And teams are getting good results that we just have not gotten going our way all season. And I try to be like, all right, well, we have to focus on what we need to do. We just need to beat the teams in front of us, proving to be a tall task. Yeah, and I, I think the most stressful part is just the fact that we haven't seen that "quote unquote" you know answer to quite a few questions that we've had across the pitch in terms of who's starting up top, you know, who is starting out wide or at fullback at times, center back even. Um, you know, we're running out of time just to figure that out and, and answer those questions and find a "quote unquote" winning formula. Literally, though, uh, a winning formula. I think so. It'll be interesting to to wrap up the season, but. Hopefully, um, you know, hopefully we can get a, a positive result soon. And you never know, um, we, we could be looking at this as, as a very important point at the end of the season, hopefully. So, um, you know, I think uh, without further ado, I'll wrap this one up, James, if you don't mind. Thank you for listening. As always, check out all our socials at the links that James does that way better, the whole spiel. But tap that details button below and you can find the links. Until next time, up the toffees. <laughs>